Take your Bible, if you will, and turn with me to Romans chapter 12. As you're finding your place there, we're going to finish this little mini-series called Divided this morning. And then next Sunday, we're going to jump into another three-week little mini-series. And this is going to be some vision casting for us as a church. And so uh, next week, you're going to hear more about what we're calling Vision 2024. And so I want to encourage you to be here November 7th, 14th, and 21st. We're going to culminate that with our Thanksgiving dinner uh, that Sunday evening, November 21st. And it's kind of why we're uh, encouraging it to be more of a family event, a Red Lane family event, and of members and regular attenders, just because as we thank the Lord for His goodness and His faithfulness to us this year, we also want to talk about what we believe the Lord would have us to do as we move forward. And so please um, be here the next three Sundays as we lay that out and... and um, cast that vision for us as a church. But this morning, I want to talk about cancel culture. Uh, we see a lot of it in the news. In fact, if you were watching um, Fox News this past week, I, I came across a story. I saw an interview where uh, two doctors were, uh, were interviewed in, in conjunction to how they have been canceled. One of them is Dr. Jeff Horick. He's a general surgeon in the state of Minnesota. And uh, he was recently dismissed from his medical group, a medical group where he had been employed for 15 years. And the termination came. The reason the board fired him was simply because he was invited to go to a local school board as an expert to talk about the efficacy of mask mandates. And so he went there, shared his convictions on that professionally, talking about the, the, this, the efficacy of of mask mandates, pros and cons, all of that. And after sharing his expertise, the board of that medical group gave Dr. Horrock the option of resigning or being terminated because, quote, his views were no longer in line with their views. So he was canceled. We see this cancellation all the time these days. It's just one of many that we could go back and, and just touch on in the last year or so. For instance, let me just give you some examples. Mike Lindell, the CEO of MyPillow, has said his company was ditched by nearly 20 retailers after he publicly questioned the electoral results last year in the 2020 presidential election and then took those election fraud claims and made a movie. Chris Harrison, the longtime host of ABC's The Bachelor franchise, decided to step aside, quote-unquote, after defending contestant Rachel Kirkconnell when old photos surfaced of her attending an Old South antebellum party. You probably remember that last spring. Gina Carano, the Mandalorian actress, was fired by Disney after posting on social media that being a Republican in 2021 was similar to being Jewish during Nazi Germany. And so not only was she canceled by Disney and the show The Mandalorian, her Hollywood agent dropped her and Hasbro scrapped her Star Wars action figure. Senator Josh Hawley was dropped by his publisher and Democrats even called for his resignation after he raised a challenge to the electors in Pennsylvania, siding with President Trump and saying that the state violated its own constitution and how they conducted the election there. Presidents Washington, Lincoln, and Jefferson have all been wiped from San Francisco public schools after that school board decided to rename 44 schools after the, uh, uh, that had ties to racism or dishonorable legacies. 
And then we could come here to Virginia, and we could go down what was once known as Monument Avenue, and now it has no monuments on Monument Avenue, and we could see there that General Lee and anyone associated with the Confederacy have been canceled and removed from public view. Then there's Dave Chappelle. He's been in the headlines a lot in the last few weeks. Uh, Netflix uh, canceled his special, The Closer, after uh, his comments that were deemed as transphobic or homophobic. And then on top of that, the one that really makes our heads scratch, makes us scratch our heads. (laughs) Maybe it makes our heads scratch. I don't know. Uh, is Dr. Seuss. Uh, The White House this year uh, during the uh, Read Across America Day has always had Dr. Seuss books. In our schools, they have that. Our kids have always come home with those type of books, and that's the big deal, and teachers dress up, and kids dress up in that way. But this year, the White House strategically uh, left out all of the Dr. Seuss books, and so they have, six of them at least, have been canceled. And we could go on and on. We could list all sorts of cancellations uh, from a national standpoint, a state standpoint, local standpoint. Uh, You cannot help, though, but wonder how something like this can happen in America. How do people, how do businesses, how do organizations get canceled in America where we believe in freedom? where we have civil liberties, where we have the right to the freedom of the press. We have the right to freely speak. speak. We have the right to express our opinions. We have the right to the freedom of religion and how we want to exercise that religion. Yet this cancel culture, as it has been labeled, it claims to bring harmony and unity, but it seems to bring nothing more than divisiveness and the like. Cancel culture is one of the great dividers in our society today. I think we would agree with that this morning. And though the phrase may be new, we never heard this phrase until maybe 18, 24 months ago. We never heard of cancel culture. It's a new phrase, but the idea is natural to humanity. You think about it, since the days of Eden, humans have always worked to silence and to marginalize people that they disagree with, right? Right? I mean, there's certain government structures that are set up in such a way to silence and to marginalize the people that are the dissenting ones and to promote and to lift up those who fall in line. And so we all always work to banish and even punish those who have views that are unpopular or offensive. Cancel culture, think about this, is the essence of a godless people who do what is right in their own eyes. If we were this morning to go to the book of Judges, we would see there that the problem with the nation of Israel during that that period of 400 plus years was that they no longer looked at God's word and followed it. Instead, they looked at their own word and followed it. They did what was right in their own eyes. And when you do that, you always will infringe on the rights and the freedoms of those who you don't like or who you disagree with. And so as Americans, you think about our culture here, we have long believed in individual freedom. This is the basis that our government has been founded upon. It's the way of life. It's built upon that Judeo-Christian ethic that is weaved into the fabric of our own constitution. It's because people came here seeking religious freedom, seeking a, a place to worship freely. So they built that into the government makeup that we know as the Constitution, been formed by the Word of God. 
And yet as America and the West in general drift further and further away from that ethic, away from the Bible, our society then adopts more and more the attitudes that foster division and hate rather than unity and love. You will never create an atmosphere that is love, loving and, and gracious and inviting outside of a community that's based on the gospel. You understand that? The, the, the statements or the, the terms that are being used today, inclusion and equity and all of that, that is, not, that is not inviting. That does not bring people in. That says if you don't line up to these viewpoints, you're out. In fact, we will punish you if you don't line up with these viewpoints. But what the gospel says is we're going to love all people and we're going to disagree on things, but we're going to love them and serve them and do everything we can to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ into their life because he is the truth. We're going to be exclusive about certain things, but we're going to do so lovingly and graciously and kindly. That's what I want us to talk about this morning as we talk about this cancel culture in America and in the Western culture today. And so we're wrapping up this three-part series simply called Divided. Like the other subjects, the subject of abortion and freedom, when we talk about cancel culture, we're talking about very similar things. We're talking about the value of human life. A couple weeks ago when we began this, we talked about how we've all been created in the image and likeness of God. Red, yellow, black, and white. What does the old song say, the old children's song? We're all precious in his sight. Why is that? It's because we've been made by God and we've been made for God. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. We don't really have race in this world. We have ethnicities. We all come from one race, the human race. And so it's not about the color of skin. It's not about the language that a person speaks. It's about the image of God that each one of us intrinsically carry. Therefore, there's intrinsic value upon our life. So that's the, the, one of the pillars that undergirds this conversation. The other would be that we're to love our neighbors ourselves. You remember in, in the Gospels, the folks asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all of the prophets and the law. We're to love our neighbors ourselves. And so if we're to love my, if I'm to love my neighbors, I love myself, why would I ever cancel them? I may disagree with them. I may vehemently disagree with a, a position they have, but I will not cancel them because I'm supposed to love them as I love myself. I'm never going to cancel myself. I'm always going to speak, right? Same as you. Those are the two principles we're kind of undergirding this talk with. And so as we talk about cancel culture, or maybe we could call it a call-out culture, it is the antithesis of this idea of intrinsic value and love. It is nothing more than a modern form of ostracism, whereby the offender is kicked out of social and professional circles. That's what people are trying to do today. You disagree with me? Then I will destroy you, right? Gina Carano. She, she was, I think she tried for a while to be an MMA fighter. Then she got into acting and, and was beginning to make it a, a name of, her, of herself there in the Madalorian series, which so many people like. But the first time she spoke out against something that she disagreed with, they didn't just disagree with her. They wanted to destroy her person and her career. That's what cancel culture is all about. So it's a majorly divisive issue in our nation that takes place on all fronts. And we dare not think it's carried out only by the quote-unquote liberals. It can even be carried out by Christians in the local church when we disagree. Anybody ever disagree in the church? 
Okay, I just want to make sure you're listening this morning. As you bring three Baptists together, you've got about 25 opinions on something. So let's examine. I want to just kind of touch on three areas of this cancer culture. We could be here for days, if not weeks, trying to make sense of all of this. But let me just, first of all, talk to you about the, the honor-shame system of modern culture. The honor-shame system of modern culture. So if cancel culture is the natural outworking of an anti-Christian culture, then it makes sense that the structure would operate using what we would call an honor-shame dynamic. So I said earlier that what we've seen in our country is we were built on Judeo-Christian ethics, a biblical ethic, and we as a nation, as a culture, have moved away from that. So if that is true, and it is true, then it makes sense that we would be moving more to an honor-shame system than a gracious, love you as you are, may disagree, but we're going to be brothers, we're going to be friends. It seems that we would naturally move away from that back to a honor, shame sort of dynamic. So in this system, a person is judged entirely on whether society, other people in other words, approve or disapprove of them. So you're either lifted up or you're dispelled based upon whether or not you conform to the collective viewpoint that is out there. So freedoms are limited because what is most important is the collective view. Therefore, you dare not deviate or develop your own opinion. You will fall in line. You will toe the line. Otherwise, you will be destroyed. You will be canceled. Dave Chappelle is experiencing this. He's experiencing not freedom in his in his uh, profession. He's experiencing restraint in his profession. You dare not say some things. You dare not go in a different direction. Let me just be clear. I don't know much about Dave Chappelle. I've never seen his show. I've heard some of his comedy. It's probably not my kind of comedy. It's much more crude than I'm going to be comfortable with. But does he have a right as an American? Does he have a right as a human being to freely express his viewpoints? Absolutely. The area of comedy has always been open to that sort of thing, and it should be, regardless of if he's a comedian or not a comedian. And so Dave Chappelle here dared to share his viewpoint on transgenderism, which obviously was not in line with the mainstream culture, and for his sin, he is being shamed and excluded throughout social media. Others who do not toe the line can face persecution, even violence. You don't, it's not just that you lose your, your, your contract, but you may face extreme persecution. You may face violence. We see it in politics. I don't agree with um, uh, Senator, Sim, Sim, uh, help me out with her name here, that woman from Arizona. I didn't hear what y'all said. It was about as slurred as what I was going to say. But the, the senator from Arizona, if you've been keeping up with that politics, those who want her to vote a certain way and go along with the one billion trillion uh, uh, package deal there that they're trying to push through because she's pulling back from that saying, I'm not comfortable us spend, with us spending that much money. They're actually literally following her into the restroom and videotaping the whole thing as they berate her with incredibly horrible language. That's cancel culture. So if you don't get in line... We will destroy you. It's an honor-shame dynamic. It's social media-driven vigilantism, if you will. So let me just uh, give you three problems with this honor-shame system that we're seeing. First of all, as we talk about can cancel culture, one of the problems is that it provides no room for redemption, no space 
for redemption. In other words, the people who seek to cancel someone usually do so in the name of justice. They want to right a wrong. And they're going to do so by destroying the offender. So the offense is almost always permanent. There's no room for you to redeem yourself. There's no room for you to try to make things right. No, you said something offensive. You did something offensive. Therefore, you will pay for all time. That's crazy. I'm a country music fan, right? Lady Annabellum is, was one of those very, very popular, very famous country groups. And because of the social justice movement where they have labeled anything and everything that kind of even goes back remotely to things of the slave era is canceled. And so Lady Anna, Annabellum is no longer Lady Annabellum, it's Lady A. I had no idea that antebellum had something to do with the Confederacy and, and, and slaves and all those stuff. Never crossed my mind. Maybe I'm out of touch. But I got to believe that the vast majority of Americans had no clue either. But because it was somewhat controversial to, to get away from any sort of controversy, they changed the name. They fell in line. They're kowtowing to cancer culture. Why did they do that? Because there's no place for redemption. What if they just came in and say, you know, we picked this name because we're from the South. We had really no idea that it was, uh, had these sort of uh, overtones. We had no idea that it would offend anybody. L let's have this conversation. Let's talk about it. No, they had none of that. They just changed the name. They fell in line. That's what cancer culture wants us to do. There's no space for redemption. Big question about that. How does this square with the gospel and how does it square with the love of God? Answer, it doesn't. Second problem of cancer culture is that it extends to anyone associated with the guilty party. So what I mean by this is that when an offender becomes the target of cancer culture, anyone who is close by is at best collateral damage and more likely a recipient of coordinated attacks. Remember, what cancer culture wants to do is destroy the person who is the offender. And the way you can destroy the offender is by touching those around the offender. Right? And so why do businesses pull their advertisements from someone that is controversial in the, in, in the world of those who are cancel culture? It's because they don't want to be uh, associated with that because they may lose business. And so those who are cancel culture fanatics are putting pressure on those people associated with it so it further hurts the one in the middle. Mike Lindell is a prime example of that. As Big retailers pull back and say, we're no longer going to sell your product because you said something that someone didn't like. We're pulling it. The goal there is to hurt and destroy the offender, and they do so by hurting those who are close by. Question again is, how does this square with the gospel? How does it square with the love of God? It doesn't. A third area of problem with cancer culture is that it crushes all dissent from popular opinion. Now, let me, before I get into that, let me just say we all would love for everybody to agree with what we say, right? Am I the only one that wants you to agree with everything I say? Am I the only one brave enough to say that or foolish enough to say that? We all would love for people to be like, you're the smartest person in the world. I'm going to just follow everything you said. That's not reality. That's not American, right? And yet that's what cancel culture wants to do. It wants to make sure, it wants everyone to fall in line. There can be no room for dissent. And if you do dissent, you will be crushed. So the goal is to intimidate individuals into silence or compliance. It does so by painting alternative views as not just wrong, 
but dangerous. You're not just wrong, you're dangerous. You say, what's the big deal there? Well, you can be dangerous, or you can be wrong, but not be dangerous. But man, if you're dangerous, we need to do something with you, right? And that's what they're doing. So you're not just wrong, you're painted as a dangerous person, spreading dangerous lies. And we see this all the time. Think about just over the last 18 to 20 months with COVID. How many times has a person been canceled because of their opinion, their perspective, their thoughts on how things were transpiring with all of the COVID stuff? So anytime a person has raised a question about the efficacy of masks or talking about natural immunity, what happened to them? They're canceled in the name of public safety. They're dangerous. Don't, don't raise those questions. Why? We've always raised those questions with anything else. No, you cannot do that. In fact, right now, as we're probably shooting this on Facebook Live or something, they're probably shutting down our feed because I'm, I'm said something that's out of line. There's nothing wrong with asking questions. There's nothing wrong with raising concerns. We have freedom in this country given to us by God, uh, secured through the Constitution. We dare not cancel anyone and eliminate their freedoms, and yet that's what they do. Cancel culture is nothing more than a form of bullying that results in nothing but virtue signaling rather than believers. So people will get in line, not believing what you're making them adhere to, but they're doing it just simply to not cause a wave. Many examples of that if you pay attention to what's happening in our government. Um, Man, I'm going to be very controversial here for a second. Bear with me. Don't cancel me, okay? (laughs) I'm trying to make a point. I'm not trying to be a jerk. If you watch some of the politicians, Congress people and senators on the left, uh, the House in particular, who of the two houses, are the only ones who have a mask mandate. It's interesting. It's like COVID only goes to one side of the house, not the other. And so they have this mask mandate there, and they, they wear the mask all the time. But if you see them in other situations, they're not wearing them, right? Explain the logic there. Well, if you pay attention enough, you watch enough stuff, you read enough stuff, you will hear them make statements. I'm only doing this because someone's following me around. There's one of the congresswomen that said that in the last month or so. Uh, there's a Republican person who's following us around. We're only wearing these because that we're falling in line. So what do I mean by this? It's virtue signaling. It's not true belief in this stuff. That's what cancel culture wants us to do. Fall in line, toe the line, and if you don't, you're going to be canceled. How does that square with the gospel? How does it square with the love of God? It does not. So let me move on. I've got just a couple more minutes, 10 minutes or so. Let me share with you two Christian misconceptions. So as we talk about cancel culture and we see it out in our culture, Sometimes we may be um, prone to look at how we operate in the church and think, that's cancel culture. So let me give you two misconceptions there, and then I'm going to come back and give you a Christian response to it. First thing I want you to see as a misconception, here's the thought. Cancel culture is not the same as biblical separation from worldliness. So in cancel culture, uh, it's nothing more than the silencing or the banishing of that which is offensive. And if that's true, then separation from worldly things, people might wonder, is that also cancel culture? Because I'm trying to remove myself. I want to get rid of that. Is that cancel culture? Is that a Christian version of cancel culture? Well, the answer I believe is no. And the reason I believe it's no is because in doing so, Christians are simply pulling away from ideas and lifestyles that are morally offensive to them. 
Here, here's an example. Talking with a, the family at the Fall Festival yesterday, found out they send their kids to a local private school, and the reason they're doing that is because they do not like some of the, the things that are pushed through the public schools, the cultural things. We'll just leave it at that. Well, is that canceling? Are they canceling the public schools? No, they're not at all. They're saying, I don't want my children to be in that environment, and so as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, I'm going to remove my children and put them in a place that we believe is safer for them, better. It's going to be more enriching for them as they learn and grow and mature into adults. So it's not cancel culture. It's exercising a right and a freedom and doing so with generosity. So I would fundamentally, here's another example, I would fundamentally disagree with what takes place at an abortion clinic. I think most of us, if not all of us in this room, would, would as well. But because I fundamentally disagree with them, doesn't mean I'm going to take a torch into that building and destroy the building and everyone in there. No, that's absolutely not what we're going to do. The Bible would forbid that. That's murder. That's destruction. That, that, that's unlawful. We're never going to do that, but I'm never going to go and participate. In fact, I'm going to do everything I can to work against and keep people from going to the abortion clinic, but I'm going to do so graciously. I'm going to do so lovingly. I'm going to do so kindly, try to teach the truth, try to show them the truth and help them understand that that's, the, uh, that's not a good place and not, not a good option for the baby that's growing within them. Cancel culture is not the same as separation from worldliness. I've got a lot more to say there, but I think we should move on. Secondly, cancel culture is not the same as church discipline. Now, unfortunately, most churches, they don't practice church discipline. I was deeply disturbed uh, in the last few days as our own president went and met with Pope Francis there in Rome. And uh, from what I heard from headlines is that the Pope basically said uh, he would never never withhold the Lord's Supper from anyone. Square that with the Bible, could you? Not going to happen. The Bible calls us, commands us to exercise church discipline. When there is sin, and it's unconfessed, and it's not dealt with, there's not been forgiveness given to it because of confession and repentance, then discipline has to take place. So I would fundamentally disagree with the Pope on that issue and probably a whole lot of other issues as well. But cancel culture is not the same as church discipline. Look, let me just explain this a little bit more. Exercising discipline among believers in the church, it's not an attempt to harm. It's not an attempt to destroy the person. That's never what is happening in discipline. And let's be honest. Discipline takes a lot of different forms. Technically, you're setting under church discipline right now. As every Sunday, week by week, as we set under the Word of God, that is, in effect, a Discipline as we are teaching the Word of God, as we're helping you as believers to come under the Word of God and to build your life upon the Word of God. That is a form of church discipline. Now, what we tend to think of as discipline is when there is a sin that is unconfessed, unrepented of, then the church needs to take action, action there, right? And so the Bible calls us to do certain things, and ultimately, if there's a lack of repentance, the ultimate thing is to uh, excommunicate them from the church. But in all of that, it's not to destroy, it's not to harm. Instead, it's a biblical attempt to protect and to build up the person. So this is true in all of those situations where there has been overt sin, uh, 
Sin that needs public confession, sin that needs repentance. It's equally true if there's a need to excommunicate the member, but it's always for the redemptive side of the person, never in a punitive sense. Cancel culture is acting punitively towards you, seeks to destroy. The gospel and church discipline is acting redemptively. In fact, if you were to read even what Paul writes to Timothy, he talks about certain men who've walked away from the faith, and he says he's given them over to Satan, Satan for the sifting of their lives, basically, so that they would come back in repentance and faith to Christ once again. It's always redemptive. It's never punitive. So as we think about cancel culture, it's not the same thing as, we, as what we're dealing with in the church as far as separation from the world or uh, church discipline. So what should our response then be to cancer culture in general? You've got to listen really quick. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. We're actually going to get in the Bible. You guys were probably wondering, this guy's not a Bible preacher. He ain't even opened his Bible yet. <laughs> Romans chapter 12, look at verse 9. Paul says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible... So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but, be, but overcome evil with good. Do you see how Paul's words in these verses counter cancel culture? Right? You see, it's very clear how we as Christians should respond to those who would perhaps seek to cancel us. Let me give you three thoughts here in, in how we should respond. First of all, genuinely love people. We should genuinely love people. That's what he says in verse 9. Let love be genuine. The, the term there it really speaks of let love be without hypocrisy. Not, it's not lip service. It's genuine. It's authentic. It's, there's no hypocrisy there whatsoever. You genuinely love people. So our love is to be like that. When we are wronged, according to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, what are we to do? We're to turn the other cheek. Why? Because we love them. That doesn't mean you're a doormat. It doesn't mean you're a pushover. It doesn't mean you just let people beat up on you. But the idea there is I'm not going to retaliate. I'm not going to give an evil for an evil. Instead, I'm going to love you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to be kind to you. I'm going to genuinely allow the love of Jesus Christ that loves me in my brokenness and in my sinfulness, I'm going to allow it to be pressed out, and I'm going to accept you for who you are. We may disagree completely, but I'm going to accept you for who you are and love you as a human being. Why? Because you have intrinsic value, and I'm to love you as myself. It's the opposite of cancer culture. Cancer culture is unkind. It's unjust. It is meant to harm. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, we respond in and with love toward those who would seek to cancel us. 
This morning, as you read, if you're reading with us there in the Gospel of John, it's interesting to see the dialogue between the Pharisees and Jesus and Pilate and Jesus, and they were there to cancel him. But he never, and he could have, but he never struck them. He gets hit in the face because he, in their view, popped off to the high priest, which wasn't a pop-off. First of all, he is the high priest, according to Hebrews. He is the king of kings, and yet he turned the other cheek. He loved them. That's how we're to respond to those who would cancel us. Second response, humbly accept people with differing perspectives. In verse 10, Paul says, outdo one another in showing honor. See, every human life, as we've been saying, has intrinsic value because that person has been created in the image and likeness of God. So with that understanding, when we have differing perspectives, we can and we should be able to honor that person, even in our differences, even because we don't agree on certain things, we can honor them, we can value them because of that intrinsic value right? They're a human being. They bear the image of Almighty God upon them. It is a broken, a flawed image. It is an unredeemed image. But so was it in our lives not too long ago. So we may not and probably will not accept the perspective of those type of people, but we can't accept the person. And this is what it means to honor them. Thirdly, kindly approach disagreements with reason and caution. Verse 16, speaks of this, talks about how we should strive to live in harmony with others. So cancel culture would demand that, that the way to do so is to adopt the viewpoint of the collective body. It's moving us. It's forcing us to toe the line. But as Christians, we cannot and we dare not toe the line with many of the things in our culture today. So how can we have peace with those we disagree with on such issues? Well, Paul says, do not be haughty but associate with the lowly. I believe sometimes we can act as if we know everything. We approach a subject or an issue haughtily rather than with reason and caution. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not telling you as a Christian that we have to bend our convictions, bend what the Word of God says. No, we don't bend there, but we can sit across from a person at a coffee table and we can listen to them. And we can hear what they're saying. And then hopefully we can earn the respect and the trust and the relationship that we can counter that perspective and say, hey, I hear what you're saying. I understand where you're coming from. Have you ever thought about what the Bible says about this issue? And you turn it on its heel and you make it redemptive. You bring the gospel into it. I mean, what have we been talking about for the last six Sundays as we've been working through the three circles? How you can have a conversation, a gospel conversation. You take a conversation about something else, you turn it, and now you're focusing on how Jesus speaks to that issue. He says, don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Don't think that you're better. Don't think that you know more. Listen, be kind, be patient. Allow yourself to reason with them. Fourthly, graciously give space for redemption. We said earlier that cancer culture has no space for redemption. We, in our response, must give space for that. Your sin has not canceled you out. We dare not cancel them out. We see this in verses 18 through 20. When you think about your Christian life, and you think about anyone's life for that matter, we're all a work in progress. We all have and will make mistakes. We will do something today that we will regret 10 years from now. I mean, you think about the mistakes you've made throughout your life. You want to be judged by the things you said when you're younger? 
Want to be judged by the things you did yesterday? No. Judge me on today. Judge me on I'm walking with God today. And so at that point then, we hope to find grace to forgive us for our failures. The golden rule tells us to treat others as we would want to be treated. And so we want to extend that sort of love, that sort of grace of Jesus Christ that we've received. We want to extend it to others while praying and trusting the Holy Spirit that he's going to use that to draw them to faith in Christ. So look with there in verse 18. He says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, vengeance is mine. Verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals in his head. Don't misunderstand that as some sort of punitive side. Well, if I'm nice to this person, the fires of hell will fall on his head. That's not what Paul's saying here. And if that's what you want, then you're not really expressing the love of God there. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In other words, two wrongs don't make a right. We dare not treat those like we are treated. So we want to extend the love of Jesus. We want to give grace. We want to trust the Holy Spirit working, drawing them to a place of redemption. That is how we respond to the cancel culture that would even seek to cancel us. David Horrock and the list of people I read earlier have all been canceled. The list is growing longer and longer. This reimagining of the honor-shame system really is the essence of a godless people who do not or who do what is right in their own eyes. And so it shouldn't surprise us to see this sort of thing gaining momentum. As a culture, we're moving away from the Lord. We're moving away from the Lord's word. Cancel culture seeking to bully members of society into conformance to that collective view which is antithetical to the word of God. In response to this culture, and in response to those who would cancel us, we respond with love and grace, all because Jesus has responded to us in that way. Think about what Jesus has done for us. First of all, think about what you've done. We're going to move into a time of invitation right here in just a moment. But think about what the Lord's done for you based upon what you did to him. The Bible says, for all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've transgressed. God's holiness, his standard is here. We're not even coming close. We fall short. We were created in the image and likeness of God. We're created to, to perfectly reflect that glory. And because of our rebellion that's been broken, we deserve to be thrown in the trash heap. What do you do with a mirror that's broken? You guys that shave and sometimes you drop the mirror. What do you do with that mirror? I try to shave with it for a while, and then I get sick of it, and it goes in the trash. It's thrown away. You're, as a human being, made in the image of God. You're broken, but did God throw you away? No. He remakes you through Christ. He came to pay the penalty for your sin that you deserve. He's the substitute. Rather than canceling, he brought redemption to you. He did that on the cross. We remembered that in the Lord's Supper as his body was bruised and broken for us, as his blood was shed. That's symbolized there in the juice. We're going to talk about that in a moment, just in small group. All of that speaks of what Christ has done for us. He did not cancel us. He loved us to himself. Our response to the people in our culture is, we want to love them, we disagree with them, but we're going to love you to Jesus. We're going to model the truth of the word of God before you. We will not cancel you. Why? Because we love you, because God loves you. 
This morning, that's how we ought to respond as a Christian. Is that easy? No. The Bible never says it's easy. But if you're walking in the Spirit of God, and you're walking in obedience to the Word of God, you can do that. You can do that. You can have a loving conversation. You can serve that neighbor that has no viewpoints, does not share any viewpoints that you have. And for many years, it's like we, I, we would rather not even speak. If you're walking in the Spirit of God with the love of God, you can go to that person and love them to Jesus. It's not easy. They may drive you nuts, but you can do it, and you should do it. Cancel culture. Our response to it. This morning, you may be sitting here, maybe you're watching this online, and you are a person who's never entrusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And right now, from all standpoints, you have been canceled. You're not in relationship with the Lord. But we just talked about the truth of the gospel is you haven't been canceled. He's inviting you in. I don't know if that's you this morning, but if it is, as we move into a time of response, I want to encourage you to think about that. Think about what Jesus has done for you. Think about what that, that, that symbol of that meal that we took earlier, the bread and juice, what does that mean for you? Maybe it's stung that you were asked not to partake of it. You did that on purpose, not to malign you, not to shame you, not to make you angry. We did that because it's an exclusive meal for those who are exclusively in Christ. And today you can be in Christ if you'll turn from your sin and trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior.